Welcome to another episode of Exploration Radio. I'm your host, Ahmad. Have you ever heard of the company 3M? Did you know that it started off as a mining venture in 1902? It used to be called Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company. And over the last 100 years or so, it has evolved into a materials company that makes all sorts of different products. Now, the prevailing opinion in our industry seems to be that mining companies should only focus on mining as a means of creating value. We like miners to be miners and nothing else. Other business streams are often seen as a distraction and probably hurt the company's perception in the eyes of investors. But what if mining companies were more than just miners? What if they recycled metals rather than just mining them? What if they helped design and manufacture products that relied on metals as the main raw material? Any technology product would fit into this space. What if mining companies were more vertically integrated, so they could take advantage of opportunities offered up by the circular economy? Would all these changes make these companies better at handling the cyclicity of commodity markets? Would it make it more sustainable? Our guest this week is Salim Ali, an environmental planner and professor of energy and the environment at the University of Delaware in the US. His research focuses on how natural resources could be developed in a more sustainable manner from an ecological, economical, and social point of view. He joined us on the line from Delaware. Let's have a listen to our interview with him. So first of all, Salim Bai, thank you for coming on to Exploration Radio. Thank you, Ahmed. So you are uh, someone that we've been wanting to talk to for a while because I find your area of research that you do quite interesting. Just to start off, would you mind giving us a little bit of background uh, to yourself? Yes, so my work is primarily around understanding environmental and social conflicts between corporations and communities. And within that, I focus on the mining industry particularly. And that's been um, a major thrust of my field-oriented work and also some of my conceptual work around how non-renewable resources can be used for sustainable development and what are some of the theoretical ways in which we can approach this question of uh, non-renewability um, from an environmental perspective. Okay, so does the mining industry give you a particularly good case study in that sense? Yes, well, mining is one of those uh, you know, primary resource sectors which is non-renewable on human timescales in terms of the extraction itself. But uh, then uh, the, the minerals themselves could be potentially renewable if we think about recycling and uh, you know, bring in more of a circular economy approach. So mining is really interesting in that way because it has a very clear imprint on on the the, the surface of the earth, and uh, often that imprint can be one which is long term. It's in it's kind of indelible, and at the same time, it is a finite extraction process, and so it provides this very interesting life cycle approach to understanding an industry sector where you have to you know, look at the initiation of a project and within that phase, you have to think about its closure also. So it, it has a, a circularity at the project level, but then the resources themselves, when you've extracted them and you use them for economic development, that part also you want to have some level of circularity in terms of long-term development that the, once the resource has been extracted, communities who are dependent on mining, what do they do afterwards? And so you have to think in different ways about circularity. So that's why mining is particularly interesting for sustainability researchers. So if I summarize that, uh, I guess it seems to be some quite uh, interesting 
kind of avenues that all coalesce in mining. So, so A, it's the resource is a finite resource. So it's the age old question about the fact that as soon as you mine something, it's basically the value of it is really gone from a renewable point of view. You know, once the resource is taken out of the ground. But I guess what I find interesting is the other aspects that you're talking about, which are the social, the environmental, as well as probably the political side of things. Yes. Yeah. I mean, often we also think about these terms uh, in terms of what we call weak sustainability and strong sustainability. Now, weak sustainability is the physical aspect of uh, a resource being uh, non-renewable and hence using that natural capital, which you are extracting from the earth and you're converting it into some other kind of economic capital. And that economic capital can have some kind of long-term sustainability, but the actual natural capital is depletable. So, uh, so for example, with agriculture, the natural capital itself could potentially be infinitely renewable, at least in terms of solar energy providing enough energy to grow crops. Whereas with minerals, the physical capital, the physical natural capital is definitely finite on human time scales. But the uh, economic capital to which it's converted later, that can be long-term sustainable. So you have you know, cities like San Francisco, for example, which were built originally on natural capital from gold mining in the California gold rush. Uh, but now their economies have very little to do with mining. But one can argue that had it not been for the California gold rush, you would not have had that uh, natural capital conversion to economic capital, which has led to the growth of, you know, universities like Stanford and others, which led to longer term economic uh, and technical capital to be generated. So that's what we sometimes refer to as the weak sustainability aspect of something like mining. But you could think about minerals in terms of strong sustainability too. So like agriculture and forests are what we sometimes refer to in terms of strong sustainability because the, the physical capital is itself renewable and that can also lead to service sector development, right? That's a really interesting point. Now with that, mining, the only way it can go in that direction is if we also have a strong recycling industry and that we are able to bring back some of the minerals into a circular process. And that's where the mining industry really needs to transition in the long run. Uh, and that's what's, for me, currently in my work, that's the most interesting aspect of how mining is going to eventually transition towards the circular economy. And some minerals are doing much better at that. Like with the aluminium sector, we have much more advanced uh, movement towards the circular economy because aluminium is much more recycled. We recognize that energy cost of bauxite processing is very high. So there are economic incentives to recycle aluminium much more so. But in other cases, we know that uh, there's very little recycling. So that's going to be the real challenge down the road. How are we going to make mining companies material service providers? They they shouldn't just see themselves as digging stuff out of the ground. They're selling a commodity. Most people don't really care if the commodity is coming from a recycling plant or coming from a, a pit in the ground. And th that transition is going to be the really interesting dimension of mining, especially for metals. The story is slightly different for things like diamonds and gemstones because there, the physical process of mining itself and where the mineral comes from 
adds value. But for metals and commodities, that's not an issue. Currently, I guess the mining industry, and you kind of made the point that they haven't transitioned past what you could probably call the primary uh, economic objective, which is, you know, dig stuff out of the ground and sell it. The example that you gave about, say, San Francisco, yes, there was quite a lot of uh, economic capital gained out of the gold rush. And then that was then revitalized in different industries. The birth of the movie industry in California might have had some uh, relationship to the fact that there was this enormous amount of capital generated out of gold. And and then it went into other industries like space and now arguably into high tech as well. But from that point of view, is that part of the chain that mining companies can realistically control? Or do you think that they, because there's the opportunity there, they should think about how they could recycle that capital into different industries downstream or secondary industries downstream? Um, Well, I mean, I think mining itself has the potential to diversify. We have seen that with a company like 3M, for example. 3M was historically a mining company. 3M stands for Minnesota Mining and Metals, but it is now known as a chemical company. Essentially, it's a materials company. But you you come across very few examples of that. And certainly the contemporary major mining companies the the culture is very strong in terms of you know we do exploration we do mining and we deliver the commodity to the consumer from the mine and then that's their business so they do not see circularity as part of their core business model except for as i said for some of these companies and and sectors like aluminium uh, where there's more recycling going on but in terms of like seeing their role as agents of economic development That is slowly dawning upon the industry that they have tremendous power in areas where they operate. In economic terms, we often refer to the power that mining has as monopsonistic power, you know, where a monopoly is uh, is basically a situation where you have one seller of a resource, right? A monopsony is one where you have one buyer of a resource. In the case of mining, what what are they buying? It's labor. You know, they where where a mining company operates, they have monopsonistic power over the entire labor market. Often, that's a really interesting point. So that amount of power brings some level of responsibility because you you have got that power to employ people, train people, uh, and then after you're gone, if you want to maintain a good reputation at some level, you want to show that you can create other kinds of opportunities for those communities later. So that has led to two different ways in which the the industry has responded. One is by transitioning more towards situations where they uh, do not displace communities and basically do what we call in Australia, FIFO, of course, fly in, fly out, where they are not creating mining towns and so on. Um, Or the other is where they do see their role and they're actually becoming uh, much more involved in uh, economic development planning and post-closure planning. And uh, we, we are seeing increasingly in places like South Africa, where the mining industry sees a much more prominent role in this way that they've created community development funds, they've created foundations, which will then uh, provide for those communities after mining finishes. In fact, many times as part of the closure plan, there's a reskilling, a retraining of the mining labor force to be involved in other kinds of activities. I think that's the trajectory industry is slowly moving towards. It is still a tall order from some of the smaller companies, 
but it's it's certainly the direction that they will need to go towards if they want to maintain a good reputation yeah intuitively i think maybe mining companies look at their role as in that early part of the, the development cycle mining tends to be one of the a few primary industries that goes into largely undeveloped areas and they are the ones that provide a lot of capital in that space but i guess what you're saying is there is a role for mining companies to actually be involved in more developed societies as well because arguably the consumption of their products would be far greater in developed societies so they have a probably a more of a role to play on that side as well even though right now they probably ignore that side Yes I mean if they start thinking in terms of a circular economy then they have to go to also where their metals and uh, materials are ending up and then try to find ways of recovering those because and that's what we sometimes refer to as urban mining where you know the industry becomes more engaged in that whole process of recovery now often when i talk to industry people many of them get very uncomfortable about that role of you know industry going to recycling and many times they will you know refer to data that you know recycling can never meet future demand of metals and i agree that recycling on its own currently cannot meet future demand of metals indeed we need more exploration investment in order to be able to meet metal demands for green technology especially for climate change mitigation so moving to transition to solar and wind we will need more exploration so it's not a zero sum game that if we have you know more uh, recycling we will have to uh, do away with exploration the demand is going to be so much that we will need to continue in both direction but ultimately if we want to move more from weak sustainability to strong sustainability we will need to bring recycling much more part of our business model and that means just what you said going to your demand centers for recovery not just focusing on your supply centers which is what the industry currently is doing so you know the exploration at some level should also be happening in those areas where the scrap metal is located but that ties into much bigger conversation around product design how the material is used is it used in modular form where you can actually extract it out of the product more easily and and that's the, that's the area where the industry needs to be much more engaged with downstream players as well Uh, and i would say some vertical integration in the industry would be useful in that regard where you know you have mining industry more engaged with also the product sector but i guess the the, the argument against that you know from a company point of view would be that uh, as a primary producer you're very beholden to things like economic cycles so arguably i guess companies would say they have a tough time right now managing their business in a fluid economic commodity cycles um is that a, a reasonable excuse why they might not have branched out into these other secondary or uh, later stage kind of industries no i think it would build greater resilience for them in that way because if they are more involved in the service sector of recovery of metals uh then they do not have to be as beholden to the revenue stream for uh large scale commodities being sold from mines because you know large mines are huge investments and they incur a huge amount of debt and as you know the from exploration to production the percentage probability of a successful project is very low often less than 10% of uh, you know projects even in fairly advanced exploration lead to a, a mine being developed that's right 
So the risk is actually much greater if they don't diversify. Uh, and I think if they were to be more diversified, and there were some mining companies which used to be in that space. You know, there was a company called Falcon Bridge, the Canadian company, which later got, uh, you know, uh, bought by others. But Falcon Bridge had a, a smaller subsidiary, another mining company before, which used to be independent called Noranda. And Noranda uh, at the time was involved in recycling as well. They used, they had a a plant which actually took apart computer uh, circuit boards in in Rhode Island, where they would extract metals from that, and the, and that was part of their business. But because they became they're part of such a huge, uh, larger conventional mining company, eventually that business kind of fell off. So I think that's that that's the challenge. You know, the scale has to be managed. That when that, there's a role for government to give incentives for companies also to maintain that scale and diversification, and the, you know see that there is value in strategic minerals and encouraging that. That's one of the things we've argued for in a report we did with Columbia University recently on uh, what we call smart mineral enterprise development, where we're trying to get public-private partnerships around targeted exploration and recycling uh, efforts so that where companies and investors are not seeing the value in terms of immediate returns, government is able to provide the right incentives in order to, to do so. I mean, one of the challenges we have is because the, the you know, the, most of the, the mining companies are operating in terms of publicly traded companies and the, the reporting of their stock performance. They, they have a very short-term planning horizon for reporting their results. And a lot of these issues that we're talking about require a much longer-term uh, planning horizon. So that requires that public-private partnership model to be successful as well. I, I guess that's a really good point that you made. Currently, mining companies are very supply constrained. So I, I've always found that a little bit weird that the only way that this company can provide their main product into the market is through mines. And surely the amount of investment, you know, not just in building them, but also running them, uh, leaves you more susceptible to economic cycles. So, so your point is a really valid one that if you branched out and recycled, uh, then you could probably add a few more supply streams to the, to the market, which you could then flex depending on what economic cycles you have. Yeah. And plus you could be involved in the service of actually procuring that material, you know, and that, and that's where government plays a role because, you know, governments can create markets for servicing. The whole waste management industry has come about because of government regulations. And now it's a multi-billion dollar industry, right? That's a great point. So, you know, it's a matter of how you see the world in terms of your vision. Um, the, you know, companies initially were very resistant to that. But now having an environmental health and safety division is part of the business model. And there is a whole bevy of consultants, many living in Perth, who just service that sector, right? It's just, uh, that's how we need to think about these things. And that's how economies grow. You can comment why do you think there is a, such a hesitation in, in the industry itself to go down this path? It's, it's a matter of corporate culture. I mean, there's been a lot of, there's a lot of pride in being a miner, you know, and physically bringing material from the bowels of the earth. There's a certain bravado which comes out of that. I take it as, as a very valid uh, sense of pride that people have. It's a tough job and the ones who do it, they deserve our admiration, but that leads to a certain inertia, 
that leads to a sense that, well, you know, uh, who are these people who've never been in a mind to tell us what to do? So that's where, you know, people like me hopefully can be helpful because, you know, I have worked in industry, I have worked in the trenches too, but I have um, also this broader interest in sustainability. So, uh, so they, that kind of inertia is very common in a lot of industries with mining it it is perhaps more so because it has been a very focused uh, sector with people working in remote areas uh, and having that monopsonistic power also that I mentioned. So I guess that's a really good point. I mean, I always find it interesting that if you look at kind of the, the major companies out there, like, you know, take Amazon, for example, and they're trying to do as much as they can to not only horizontally grow their product line, but also vertically grow their product line. So you look at these kind of uh, companies that are trying to become the everything company. And I guess, you know, like mining, you find people trying to go the opposite way, which is that they want to become very niche, but very good at that one niche. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, this, there are also these very, again, short term changes that lead to um, demand uh, calibration. Like gold is a huge problem in that way because, uh, you know, from a societal needs perspective, gold is not that important. You know, of course, small amounts of gold are important in lots of things, but jewelry is the main consumer of gold. This is not to say that we shouldn't have gold mining. We certainly should have gold mining, especially from a development perspective, because the whole jewelry industry creates a huge, you know, supply chain, which provides livelihoods and jobs all over the world. However, in terms of exploration investment, I don't see why more than half of exploration investment should be going into just gold mining from a societal perspective. When there's more gold above ground than below ground by some estimates, we've already mined so much of it and many much of it is lying in bank vaults. And That's a great point. So from an industrial ecology perspective, gold mining does not make that much sense because gold is eminently recyclable. There's so much of it out there in terms of supply. But the the economic incentive is not there to look for other things because gold is so profitable when you have a high price for gold. People who go to meetings like PDAC, their interest was gold because that's where you could get the highest return on investment. But from a societal perspective, it, you know, it was overblown. You could have some of it, but it was definitely overblown. So, you know, that's where the challenge lies. So that's an interesting point that there will be some commodities where we probably don't have to mine or recycle that, you know, to fulfill society's needs in the future. Yes. Yeah, I think what the other thing I've argued for is that when we choose mining, you know, opportunities and where mining happens, we need to do an assessment of what are the opportunity costs? What are the other kinds of industries, development paths that a particular area could take? It, it would make sense to engage in mining for gold in areas where there is very little other livelihood opportunity available. But given the environmental and social cost often of gold mining, it should not be attempted in areas where we have many other potential economic development paths available. That is why we are seeing, in some cases, countries like El Salvador, you know, deciding to have a moratorium on mining. Because they see other kinds of economic development opportunities. You know, it could be tourism, it could be forestry, it could be agriculture, it could be coffee, uh, which they, they feel are more strong sustainability oriented. And so I think in terms of the decision making to 
for mining companies as well as for governments where to go for mining that has to look at these big picture issues it it cannot be just about well we found an ore deposit and hence we have to develop it many times you need to prioritize and we do that i mean if we we found a huge gold reserve under perth we're not going to suddenly go and mine it out you know it is going to be a prioritization about whether there are other economic development paths which um, clearly are more appropriate so the same logic should be applied to uh, macro level planning for mining and using it for a development path particularly for commodities like gold in my limited understanding of say other natural resource industries i think they probably do a better job of looking at these macroeconomic uh, effects would you agree like forestry seems to be a little bit more advanced than mining well forestry you know they already have the advantage of being a renewable sector up front that's true but um, the forestry sector also has had challenges in other ways with um, competing land uses and compared to mining they use far more land and so you know same is true of palm oil for example you know the amount of quantity of land used by these sectors of agriculture agroforestry is much larger than mining so that's where mining has an advantage because it has it's more concentrated in terms of land access and land itself is a resource in terms of what you could do with it yeah that's right so the the opportunity cost is physically about so with forestry often it's more about you know whether you're going to be developing real estate or uh residential settlements factories other things in places where forests may exist so the but the forestry industry has also had you know serious challenges with uh the ngo sector uh, they have had um, you know a lot of opposition some of it comes from the, the issue of monoculture of uh, you know not growing a wide range of uh tree crops it has to do more with biodiversity related issues where you can crowd out native species by by growing commercial forestry species so each sector has its own challenges but you're right mining has had a particular challenge because of the non renewability aspect and also because the industry has been more insular and also the the consumer is more removed from the product That's a good point actually that's a really good point so that makes it a bit more challenging i think one of the things that probably the industry does very poorly is have a direct link to the consumer i mean yeah if more people knew how much metals and materials that mining provides are fundamental to their existence i think they would have a completely different view of mining yes yeah i think that's important from the point of view of uh, creating a positive image of the sector and that has been done to some degree the main challenge is often that um, the, the mines themselves are physically far from a lot of major urban centers and so people don't have the first hand exposure to them so also what they read about the impact of mining then gets often caricatured as well the impact is very real but often it's presented in a very polarized way uh, without you know considering the benefit as well and then uh, you know a lot of the issue recently with mining has been that the coal sector has had a particularly negative coverage in um, public discourse because of climate change concerns so a lot of coal mining has been conflated with uh, other kinds of mining 
the kind of land use impacts of coal mining as well as all the impacts of fossil fuel production more generally they tend to get lumped together with mining more generally in the public's perception and uh, you know that's something that has to be also looked at in terms of the role of energy minerals versus commodities uh, metals you know your comment is that i think the industry has these challenges but i think you know maybe the industry itself could overcome them you know like i always argue that mining really needs the organic food movement or the equivalent of that in this industry i think people are now a lot more conscious of where they get their food and you know like how they're getting it uh, after this whole organic food movement kind of blew up and i think mining yeah. needs that as well because i don't i don't think the industry has done a very good job of uh, kind of making those links for people well i mean there too they have tried and certainly there are so many certification programs for minerals especially for gemstones i mean we have for diamonds the kimberley process on conflict free diamonds we have um also with gold there's the international cyanide code uh, you know in terms of how gold is more responsibly produced um even recently now tiffany and company just announced last month that they're going to provide the origin of all of their diamonds over a quarter carat uh, you know to to give that consumer the sense of okay you're getting responsibly mined diamond here's the story of the diamond where it's coming from it's going to be much more challenging to do with with metals with the copper i know uh, at one point rio tinto was able to track the copper that they've used in uh, the the roof of a, a project they did in the uk called the eden project it's a it's a kind of um, nature tourism center of sorts uh, and it was built in an old um, quarry site in cornwall england all of the copper they were able to track it from the bingham canyon mine in utah all the way to where it was refined and then made into the roof and uh, but that's very rare i mean it's definitely possible to do it it may seem overwhelming to the industry to do it uh, but uh, i think that that's going to be the wave of the future uh, being able to to have some confidence over where you are getting your particular minerals from it happens by default from a punitive perspective like if there are sanctions against a country if there are concerns of like cobalt coming from uh, you know we know more than 60% comes from congo well we have to make sure that it's produced responsibly so there are no sanctions imposed on drc you know those kinds of things it's happening more in those terms well i guess that's a part i find interesting is that the industry does it only when it's regulated or forced to do it why wouldn't they take the the front foot approach and actually do it as a transparency point of view like surely you would get a little bit of goodwill or economic premium out of that yeah i think so i think they should pay more attention to it i mean part of it is also just the way in which the entire uh, supply chain infrastructure for metal especially uh, is so multinational and it it's going you know literally halfway around the world from the mine to where it's being processed and refined they just feel so daunted by it and i i personally think that even the siting of the uh, mineral processing plants needs to be done with more ecological efficiency in mind by ecological efficiency i mean by you know situating them close to clean power sources and uh, considering the transportation cost of taking metal ore from uh, the mine to where it's going to be processed you know a lot of times government subsidies and other political considerations led to siting decisions which did not 
necessarily consider these kinds of ecological costs. Also for future infrastructure for mineral refining and processing, if we were able to situate it with those kinds of factors in mind, that would make things also much easier. I mean, I think that's a fascinating point here because one of the things I find is the way the mining is kind of looked at right now in society is, uh, you know, it's the the conflict between the need for development, mining development versus the need for preservation. I don't think it really helps the industry if the argument is expressed in this binary terms that it's either development and environmental destruction or it's environmental preservation and no development. I, I think the, the conversation probably has to move past this. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's why, you know, I have found this area very ripe for engagement is because there there are some very visceral conflicts over these issues. And if uh, scholars of sustainability can uh, provide opportunities from a science based perspective to bring corporations and communities together to see, well, these are the win-win opportunities. These are the areas where there is likely to be some choice being made on where you do extraction. Then you can have, you know, potentially much more fruitful engagement. So, you know, right now, a lot of mining projects are currently stalled because of community conflicts. And if we had such an approach, which is more long-term oriented, we could have, I think, more success. The reputation of the industry could also improve. I think that's exactly the right point. You know, as an industry, we often look at the, the, the challenge of mining development as a technical one, and we kind of ignore these non-technical issues, especially long-term non-technical issues. Adoption of a strategy where you uh, take these in play as you're going through the development cycle uh, or have more awareness of it, of how you could actually uh, play a role in this. I think, I mean, intuitively, it will probably lead to a better result for companies as well as uh, communities. Yes, absolutely. So I guess one question I had is, do you care to comment why is it that when we talk about mining, we often talk about the, like the caricature representation of mining companies as well as environmental or environmentalists, I should say. Uh, do you care to comment why it's such an entrenched view? Well, I think it has to do with the the history of mining and how it has led to a concentration of wealth in certain sectors and it has exacerbated inequality and that has led to perceptions of mining as being an industry which is removed from the social um, development uh, imperatives. That doesn't need to be correct, but that has been the case. I mean, South Africa has been classic case in point. I mean, we have the great mining barons like Cecil Rhodes who have been, you know, archetypes of uh, a certain, you know, prejudicial kind of nationalism and aggrandizement of wealth. And and that the, the same is true in the U.S. You had, you know, the, what they call the robber barons era of a lot of these people who accumulated enormous amounts of wealth. Now, in the case of, in both cases, they later became philanthropists and we have the Rhodes Scholarship at Oxford and we have the Guggenheim Museum in the U.S. And, you know, these were people who made their wealth on mining, Guggenheim on lead mining, uh, certainly, um, uh, the Carnegie's on um, steel, and so I mean, the, the, so there is. This has been part of the challenge for mining gaining a reputation problem. Uh, also, from a labor perspective, I mean, mining is a very difficult industry in terms of uh, the impact on the labor force from a health and safety perspective, and so there has been a very negative history of you know abuse of the labor force of mining, and uh, that. Uh, has changed, thankfully. But in, I mean, within the U.S., the whole 
you know labor rights movement people like mother jones who was legendary was a you know a labor activist uh, found their roots in the appalachian coal mining regions where there was a lot of exploitation of the labor force so that's been a real challenge for mining it's it's been slowly trying to overcome it i think um, there are some great success stories of mining economies that have done quite well like chile but again chile is the it has the highest inequality of any south american country or i should say chile has the highest inequality of any of the oecd countries that's particularly significant so so you know those are the kinds of concerns we have to be aware of i mean it's might be an obvious question but do you think mining is then a prisoner of its history in a lot of ways yes exactly yeah. i mean it has a legacy problem as we call it and we have to address that legacy issue up front saying yes we've had a, a sad past but we can have a better future i mean the the sugar industry had a terrible past the you know, most of the slavery in the world was done for sugarcane farming you know now people don't think of sugarcane as a bad industry you know they were able to go beyond it yeah i mean i, I think like the fashion industry or apparel industry used to have a checkered past as well Yeah there's quite a lot of industries primarily manufacturing of finished goods which have had a checkered history but they've all seemed to have progressed past that. Yes, yep, absolutely. Before we finish, we always ask our guests these two questions. Mm-hmm. So the first one is what is something in mining that you think should die? Something could be an idea, a concept, a behavior, something that you think we should jettison out of the industry. Well, I think within the industry this um the sense that they are somehow you know have an exceptionalism around being a a, a sector which is able to uh, provide a resource that no one else can provide and hence has to just focus on you know uh, the primary extraction process that needs to go of course mining and extraction from the earth is important but ultimately mining companies should consider themselves as material service providers and they should be willing to consider whatever supply streams they can get for those materials that they are selling and i think that would really help us transition towards a more sustainable future long term for the industry i mean i think that's a fascinating point because if you look at how disruption affects people the more highly specialized or niche you become the more likely you know you could be to be disrupted completely out of business or out of existence So I think it's really you know short termism for the industry to think that that's the avenue to become more and more robust as an industry. I, I just don't think it makes sense. That's right, exactly. So the last question that we have is what do you think is something that the industry should keep at all cost? So something that you think is fundamental to the industry and we should never get rid of. Um I think that that sense of wonder uh, of being willing to go to the most daunting frontiers to look for resources that should be maintained uh, but i would urge that the industry to think of frontiers not just in terms of you know distant lands and asteroids and and so on but also think about exploring uh, urban frontiers product frontiers and thinking in terms of a circular economy but that is a, an amazing um, attribute of miners that they have that courage that conviction to to take high risks uh and 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 that's something to be cherished i think not many industries have that level of risk tolerance and 
uh, scent of adventure and exploration that uh, mining has. So you think that pioneering spirit is something that we should maintain at all costs? For sure, for sure, absolutely. Exploration Radio is brought to you by Steve and Ahmad. This episode was produced and edited by Ahmad and recorded at Vision Studios in Perth. If you want to find out more about this podcast, check us out on explorationradio.com or follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. And we're even on Instagram. And if you like this podcast and want to help out, well, there's two things you can do for us. Give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And consider supporting us in producing more of this content. You can find the details on how to do that on our website at explorationradio.com support. Until next time, let's keep exploring.